Hey, I want you to look back at verse 1 out of chapter 3, the passage that Zoe just read. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. I want to start reading this verse again. It's really a great verse, one of my favorites in Scripture. This is what John writes. He says, See what great love the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Some children were playing on a playground at a school one day, and they were teasing other children, as children often do. And they began to make fun of an adopted child. They said to the child, they said, you know, you don't even have real parents. You don't even know who your real parents are. To which the adopted child responded, oh, yeah? You know, when you were born, your parents, uh, they didn't just have you. They said they had to take you. They didn't have a choice. My parents, they didn't just have me. They had a choice. They picked me. They chose me. And so I think it's just an awesome response from that adopted child. And it reminds us of what God does for us, that, that we are a child of God when we have faith in Christ, because not because of what we've done, but because God has wanted you and he wanted me. He chose us from eternity. He chose you to be his own before you were ever born, before you had a chance to prove you were a sinner. God chose you to be a member of his family. He made your place in his family possible. By carrying out a plan of salvation through his son Jesus. Then in time God made his choice and his adoption possible a reality by sending his spirit to, uh, into our hearts and making us his own. He put his name on you when you had faith in Christ. And that work which he began in, in your faith, God has continued in your heart today. So that you can say with confidence, I am a child of God. That's what John says in our text. God has called us to be his children. And we can say that we're not merely called children of God. We are children of God. I want you to take a pen. If you've got your Bibles open, I invite you to just underline the word are in verse 1 and verse 2. Go ahead and do it. If you've got your phones, highlight that word uh, in your passage in your phone. It's okay. John emphatically repeats this thought throughout this passage. That while you may not fully understand what it means to be a child of God... It doesn't make you any less adopted by God. Our lack of fully knowing who we are does not neglect who or what we are because the adoption is not dependent on you. It's not dependent on me. John was not a young man when he wrote this passage. Perhaps scholars think he was in his 90s. And you would have thought that by that time he could take for granted that and he understood that he was a member of God's family. But John didn't take that for granted. Can you hear the wonderment in his words? Look again at verse 1. It says, See what great love the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Have you ever seen the musical Annie? It's about a a little girl who's an orphan in an an orphanage in New York City during the Depression. And all the, the kids in the orphanage, they one day dream of being adopted by parents and taken home and being a part of a family. And not in Annie's wildest imagination or dreams did she think that someone as rich and wonderful as Daddy Warbucks would choose her to come live with him and then choose to adopt her as his daughter. Why would anyone want somebody so plain and so so ordinary like Annie? And for Annie, it was a pinch me and tell me it's real kind of an experience. And so it is with being a child of God, but so much, much more dramatic because it is real. It's not just some play. It's not just some story. It's truth that we read in God's Word. There's no reason, however, that I had to hold this hope in my heart that God would want me and choose me to be his child. I have no right of that birth. The human race, we lost that right 
uh, to be counted in God's family when Adam and Eve fell in sin at the beginning. Nor have we earned that right. You know, have you always used God's name with respect? Have you always loved his word and obeyed it fully? Have you always loved your parents and obeyed them? Have you never lost your temper and said something that you later, later regretted? I know that I haven't kept God's commandments perfectly. Uh, I don't deserve to be God's child. Yet John says, without a doubt, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. How can we be so confident? How can we be so sure that we are God's children? Because God would not have sent Jesus to die for our sins if he didn't love us. And God wouldn't have put his name on us if he didn't want us to be his children and to choose us to become part of his family. Have you ever been present at an adoption in the courtroom when it becomes fully legal for the parents to adopt into a family? It's a powerful moment to witness. I've had the opportunity a couple of times with families that have been a part of churches that I've been in. It's just amazing experience to witness. When the gavel comes down, it's just something happens in that moment. And the judge signs the papers and makes it legally possible. In that moment, a child's name and family status are changed forever. And when John thinks about our our status as God's children, he has in mind this sort of absolute unyielding decision initiated by God on our behalf. And so confidence in our Christian identity comes simply through finding that God holds us secure in our faith. If we do not feel like a child of God or if somebody questions us because maybe we don't exhibit some kind of uh, criteria confirming our status as God's children, it makes no difference, right? The divine gavel has fallen. God has called us his children in that moment of faith in Jesus Christ. That is never going to change. Again, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Wonder at this. Just be amazed at this statement. But don't ever doubt it. Don't ever question it. Don't never believe it. Because that's what we are. And if that is what we are, can you imagine what's in store for us someday because we are a child in God's family? John invites us to do just that in the rest of the passage in John chapter 3. He goes on to say we won't fully understand what that looks like, what that really is. That realization won't happen until we come, until we stand face to face with our Heavenly Father. But in that unique fact that we are, we are God's children and yet we are becoming. We're becoming like the Father, the one who created us. I want to invite you, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Verse 6, or if you've got your uh, phone, look at that in your Version app, your Bible app. But turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I'm going to read this passage. It parallels very closely what John is writing here in uh, the third chapter of 1 John. Philippians 1, 6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What John says in verse 2 is very similar when he writes, What we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. So while we are children of God, we are becoming, we are being perfected, as Paul would say, to look like our heavenly father. And being the child, being adopted into God's family is not dependent on you, uh, but growing and maturing as his child with godly attributes, with the birthmarks of God's children, is something that you and I assist in. 
Now, most of that work is by the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, but we're responding and we're being obedient to God and to the Holy Spirit in our life as we're experiencing that transformation in our lives. And just like the things you do with your physical self that that reflect the things about your earthly parents and about your heritage, as you grow as a believer, you should begin to reflect the attributes of your heavenly heritage, your Father's likeness, your Heavenly Father. So the Christian life as a believer is not one that just gets adopted and then we sit around and we wait for God to come and perfect us. Instead, we're waiting expectantly, but we're also actively working as we wait for Him to come. So when you realize you remember that whose child you are, then you're going to strive to live a life that simply reflects that very thing. You were not adopted into God's family to simply sit around and wait for Christ to return. Think about this. If, if a child was born into royal heritage, uh, they would not live like a pauper. They're going to live like and, and reflect their royal heritage that they've been born into. For those of you who follow English royalty, do you know there's a big event coming up next weekend? Do you know that? We you know what's happening? Prince Harry is getting married, right? And he's, even, he's marrying an American woman, which is really kind of unusual, but it's a big deal uh, in England especially. Now, Prince Harry did not make himself a prince. He was born a prince, right? He was born into the royal family in England. In fact, his brother, Prince William, and he, uh, when they moved through their adolescence and into adulthood, they had moments in their life when their behavior didn't uh, always reflect that of, of being a royal person. At times, their actions, their lives brought scandal into the royal family. Their lives are supposed to mark their royal heritage. And, and yet, you know, if you're a child of God, then you have a royal heritage. And your life should, should show the royal birthmarks that show that we're children of God. If you're indeed adopted into God's family, can you look at your life and say that you're becoming like your father? John lays out some birthmarks in the rest of the passage that are signs of a royal heritage. Why are these important? Well, John has just said that the Christian is, the one, is a person who's on the way to seeing God and being like him. And if a person knows that God is their father, they're going to make all of their life a preparation to, to prepare to meet him in eternity. Don't get me wrong, Christ is not returning to just kind of check on your life and to see if your life has been good enough for you to be saved and to live with him for all of eternity. That's not what's going to happen, right? Just know that your life is not good enough. My life is not good enough, right? We're not good enough. We, aren't, we don't deserve uh, eternal life with Christ. We haven't earned that, right? But yet, what's going to happen, because that's what happens by faith, right? Faith through grace, we're saved, not by our works, not by our righteousness, But what is going to happen is that uh, he is going to return, and our life ought to be marked by our new birth in Christ until he does come. And there's no way of telling what a tree is other than the fruit that it bears. And so there's no way of telling what a person is other than by his or her conduct or their character. So John says one of the birthmarks for a believer uh, is the absence of active sin in their life. The absence of active sin. Look at verse 6 in John 3. It says, No one who lives in him keeps on or practices sinning. No one who continues to or practices sin has either seen or know him. So the reason I put the word practices in parentheses is it, does, it means the same thing as keeps on or continues to. And so the word practices is important. John uses this phrase or this kind of wording 
And why does he do that? Well, he, he's already said in chapter 1, and, and Doug preached about this last week, that all of us have sinned. In fact, if we say that we haven't sinned, we make ourselves out to be a liar. And so the matter of fact is that you will sin. So anyone who has a child knows that kids are going to gonna get into trouble eventually, right? It's kind of a fact of natural life. The issue is not are they going to get in trouble or whether they will get in trouble. The real issue is are they going to learn from that and are they going to not repeat it in the future? It's the same principle applies here as a child of God that you're not perfect. You are forgiven. Now, this is not an excuse to run around practicing forgiveness because then it would mean we're practicing sinning. That's not what John's wanting from us. But that you learn, once that you're forgiven, to do away with that sinful activity that you were forgiven for. John's not saying that a person who abides in God cannot sin, but he is saying that if you abide in God, you cannot continue to be a deliberate sinner. John states that your godly family resemblance will be shown by your practices. But the absence of, the, of practice uh, is not the only mark. It's also the presence of a purifying life. So simply put, it's moving from the practice of sin uh, to the practice of living a right life, one that's pleasing and points to, to whom your Father is. When you give your life to Christ, you don't suddenly become perfect with your life. The struggle is no, by, by no means over, right? We continue to struggle with the old self that Jesus is renewing us from, uh, but the end result is one, right? We know that we will be with Christ, and in eternity when we are with Christ, we're going to be perfected in Christ. This is not purifying your life practices to be saved, but purifying your life because you've been adopted as God's child into his family. John writes, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Children, unconsciously or consciously, tend to reflect and imitate their parents. If you saw a picture of my sister's face next to me, you'll, you would see that we have very similar noses. We have very similar eyes, even the same color of eyes. We have similar mouths. Uh, we have the same color of hair, although she has kept all of her hair, uh, and I don't have all my hair. But you would see, if we're, if we're either standing side by side or we have a picture next to me, you'd see a resemblance. And especially if you would take a picture of our dad and put it next to us, you would see where our resemblance comes from. We look a lot like our dad looks. So children naturally resemble and imitate their parents. Can people tell that who your Heavenly Father is by taking a look at you? And, and do you look like other children of God that you see in God's family? Can people tell from the smile of your face that you radiate the joy of God in your life? Uh, when you open your mouth, is your speech characteristic of your father's word? Is it truthful? Is it honest? Is it kind? Is it pure? Are your desires for heavenly things or are they for earthly things? Again, see what great love the father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Remember who you are. God has purified you with the blood of his son, Jesus. And he's called us to be his own. He put his name on us in the moment of our faith in Christ, and he made us adopted members of his family. And at the same moment that I know that I'm God's child, I also want to be more like him day by day in my life, right? I want to resemble my heavenly father. That's why John says, all who have put this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And in this case, the English verb 
doesn't quite catch the flavor of the original language in the Greek. It should maybe say, a better translation would be, all who have this hope in Him keep on purifying themselves just as He is pure. And what does it mean to keep on purifying ourselves? It's really very simple, but yet it's not always easy. It's something that we do, or maybe we should do, uh, or we should say that God works in us through the Holy Spirit every day. First, we examine ourselves so that we can see our impurities and, and our imperfections. And then we look at how we act and how we talk. We examine our feelings and our thoughts and our attitudes and our desires. And are they godly? Are they godlike? If not, then we bring these impurities to the throne uh, of our Father and we claim the promises that He's given to us. Again, in the first chapter of First John, John wrote, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In all humbleness and thanks, we determine then to get rid of the sin that's in our life. And we we cannot tolerate it any longer as a child of God and God's family. It has no place in our lives because we're God's children. That's what we are. And if we're unsuccessful today because we're weak, then we look to Him and we ask Him for strength and we try again tomorrow. And we try again the next day and the next. And even in this life, if we're not able to become uh, just like Him in every way, we don't despair. Because in our faith, God's promised never to forsake us as His children. And we know that one day, one day we're going to be with Him in heaven and we're going to be just like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And finally, the last birthmark is the living of a loving nature. The living of a loving nature. Look at verse 11 in chapter 3. This is what John writes. He says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. So where did John get this? Well, John also recorded in the gospel, uh, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? John recorded for us. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's simply stating in a different way the second part of of the great commandment, that we should love one another. The greatest way that you'll exhibit your heritage as a child of God is the way in which you selflessly love others. The greatest example, really the only example that we should follow, is loving like Christ loved us. John's answer later on in this passage is, if you want to see what love is, if you really want to see what love is, look at Jesus Christ. In other words, the Christian life is literally the imitation of Christ. He left us an example of what that we should follow in his steps. And no one can look at Christ and say that they, they don't know what the Christian life looks like. We don't have that excuse when we have God's word and we can read and we can see who Christ is. We know what the Christian life looks like. So Christ is your example of love and your love is your example of Christ. It's a story that's told about a great German philosopher named Arthur Schopenhauer. Can you say Schopenhauer? I had to practice that like five times to be able to say it right. But he was a great German philosopher in the 1800s, and he was sauntering through Berlin's famous garden in the middle of the city. It's called the Tiergarten. And one day he's probing mentally the thoughts that great philosophers think about. You know, they think about these big questions of life. And he was asking questions of origin and destiny that had kind of been constantly perplexing him. The main things that were running through his mind were, who am I? Where am I going? And there was a park keeper that was closely observing this shabbily dressed philosopher wandering around in the 
in the garden as he walked with his head bowed and, and you know, he just seemed to be wandering and the, the uh, kind of the, the park keeper was wondering, who is this guy? What's he doing? He kind of looked homeless and so the park keeper walked up to him and he asked the philosopher, who are you and where are you going? And the philosopher said with a pained expression, I don't know. I wish somebody could tell me. Do you ever ask those questions? Who, who am I and where am I going? Well, the good thing is, is that we know who we are. We know from God's word who we are. When we have faith in Christ, we know who we are. We are a child of God. And we know where we're going. John tells us where we're going. He says we're going to go to be with Christ in a home that Christ is preparing for us for all of eternity. And not only are we going to go and be with Christ, but Christ is literally going to transform us in that moment of eternity, literally to be just like Christ. So when you know Jesus, you know who you are and you know where you're going. Who are you? You're a child of God. Where are you going? You're going to be with Jesus for all of eternity. Not only that, you're going to be transformed into the very likeness of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this promise, this assurance that comes to us from the words that John wrote. To know that in our faith in Christ, that you proclaim once and forever that we are your children. That you claim us, you've adopted us into your family, your eternal heavenly family. That we don't have to have any doubt, even even if we struggle and we wonder and we question where we're at and are we really a child of God or not, that if we have faith in Christ, we know without a shadow of a doubt, that's never going to change. We're always going to be your child. And God, we're thankful for that. And God, we pray that we desire that we want to live like your kids. We want to we live like kids of the Heavenly Father that reflect your character, that reflect your characteristics of your family. And God, we know that we're not perfect, and there are times we fall short, we fail, we, we mess up. But God, we're thankful that, that you, and through the work of your Holy Spirit, you are transforming us more and more into the likeness of Christ, and that we look forward to that day that when Christ returns, that we'll be with him, and not only will we be with him, but we're going to be made just like him, transformed into his very image. And so, God, keep us faithful, keep us encouraged, assure us with the promise that we are your children. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.